guys, welcome to another episode of Profits Over Profits. It's your boy Salah here with Connor. Hey, everybody. Um, we're going to be talking about imperialism uh, with a bit of a focus on U.S. or Western imperialism and kind of what its implications are uh, today. I know that imperialism, when we say imperialism, a lot of people are thinking like the British Empire, when it owned like something like 25% of the world. They think of maybe uh, physical imperialism, very uh, direct, like military occupations and things like that. We're going to be discussing a little bit more of the, I guess, subliminal imperialism or the psychological effects of imperialism and how we can see that impact people in ways that could be akin to generational trauma. So why don't we start by defining what imperialism is. Imperialism is a policy of extending a country's power and influence through diplomacy or military force. So that makes sense to me. It's basically the the act of one country going to another and and doing something there that's in their own interest. Yeah, exactly. So what we've seen before, what we've seen throughout history is imperialism being exerted very physically, like military occupation, slave trades, things like that. And what it's also generally or conventionally taken the form of is colonialism, right? However, uh, with the advent of, I guess, like hyper-capitalism, if you want to call it, or these like mega corporations and things like that, Mm -hmm. imperialism and of course like i guess the extent to which media can reach uh, imperialism has taken kind of a new form where it's the imperialism or the conquering of thoughts and ideas right uh, as well so the colonization of minds yeah (laughs) exactly so like i mean like you i know that's like said jokingly but like I'll give you kind of like a bizarre example, right? Like Egypt right now. If you go ask any or the majority of Western people what their idea of Egypt is, they'll say, oh, Muslim majority country, probably very backwards or very primitive. Like they'll definitely say third world to some degree, right? Yep. Um, Now, the weird thing is in Egypt, they also view themselves or like within classes they can view each other as that right so what's happening now is that the upper or elite classes try to distance themselves from those descriptors as much as possible the elite classes they'll try to distance themselves from islam they'll try to distance themselves from muslims Mm -hmm. and one way that that's taken form is that hotels and resorts in Egypt, especially like higher class ones, have instituted a burkini ban. Right. Right. So yeah, I heard means, about that. Yeah, exactly. And it's ridiculous because this is a Muslim majority country. Like, how are you going to be the one? How are you going to be Islamophobic against the majority of the people living there? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what's tell tell us a little bit more about that ban? So it's. It's happening at a few different hotels or resorts. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And it's it's been happening for a while. 
and a lot of people are kind of shocked by it. And as someone who's lived there, it's kind of surprising to me that they're shocked because in the same way that like slavery in Libya to me just seemed like the final conclusion to what was already happening, like the extreme racism that I was seeing there. Mm -hmm. Um, This kind of burkini ban is similarly just a conclusion of the mindsets that I saw while I was there. Now, I went to a private school. I went to like a pretty bourgeoisie private school. Like I won't lie, right? Like um, it's it's tuition was similar to like what I was paying for like freshman year university type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Canadian university as a non-international student, just in case everybody was getting like wild ideas about <laughs> what I was paying there. Uh, but still, like it was still pretty up there, especially considering like the exchange rate and everything. But at the end of the day, what was happening was these people, they were constantly making fun of Muslims. They were making fun of hijabis. They would make fun of people with beards. Yeah, in that school. And like when I, when I had a beard or both the kids, the kids. So like, and and like the teachers were just regular Westerners. Okay. The, The kids are the ones that were, I guess, high class, if you call them that, Egyptians. Right. They were like rich Egyptians. Right. Um, And they would make fun of you for having a beard because they'd be like, oh, you look like you're from the Muslim Brotherhood. They would do their best to fall into Western culture as much as possible and distance themselves from uh, Egyptian culture. And unless in like very specific cases where it almost looked like it was like they were cultural tourists. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they would essentially be like, you know, similar to like, imagine a fully white school that would have like one token rap song. You know what I mean? And at their prom. Right. Uh, It would, it would kind of be like that where they'd all sing along or they'd all try to rap along. And you'd be like, you guys all look completely out of place here. So Uh, what, what background did these kids come from? Was there like a common thing you noticed? They were all rich, bro. They were all rich. Like there was no, like I was the poorest kid in school. Like without a doubt. Like I was making like, for example, my allowance was 200 Egyptian pounds per month, which was at the time equivalent to like 35 bucks USD, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody else was making around 2000 Egyptian pounds as an allowance per month. Yeah. So... Like these kids were all rich, right? It's like these people were like on another level and, and they didn't try to kind of like relate to the rest of society. Like their prom was held in the four seasons next to Tahrir right. Square and right outside the hotel, there was like a line of homeless people. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like these guys would like line up in suits and dresses and all of that go all the way to the penthouse of this like four seasons hotel on the Nile to dance uh, and sing and party and then go home completely ignoring like the weird parallel between their lifestyle and like the average Egyptian lifestyle. Do you know what any of those kids are doing today? A lot of them dispersed. I mean, you have some that went into politics, but most of them left the country. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Wow. Yeah, yeah like that, that's a great story about this topic 
for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, and like that mindset is just like so strongly perpetuated, you know, where it's like, if you speak English in Egypt or your, your Arabic is like littered with English or French words, that's high class. Hmm. If you speak only like just flat Egyptian, that's considered low class. You know what I mean? Like that's the kind of mindset they have where they're just saying like, it's almost self-hating. You know yeah. I mean? And like, isn't the best college in Egypt called the Uni American University of Cairo? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's something we see all across the Middle East and all over the world, really. Yeah, that's the most recent example of what I would call the psychological imperialism. Right. You know what I mean, that, that's kind of been taking place. You'd have the more general examples of it or general instances, such as like the imperialistic idea of what beautiful is, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, like skin skin bleaching, hair straightening, contact yeah. lenses. Exactly, exactly. So like the idea of what is beautiful or what is pretty, that is also sent out to everybody. Sent like that because like just the media is so powerful in the West. Right. That idea is sent out to everybody and everybody kind of follows it. Let's think for a second. So we I think it's pretty obvious to people why... Like you said, like you put it, physical imperialism is a thing. You know, the U.S. invaded Iraq ultimately, and I think everyone knows this by now, to control its oil. So what is the motive for this more uh, subtle intellectual type of imperialism? What, why would Western countries want this to happen? It's to institute their superiority like how are you going to have a white supremacy if black or brown people or people of color believe that they are as beautiful as you or as smart as you or on the same class level as you you know what i mean if we all believe that then they just wouldn't believe in white supremacy really like right. if you go to all these arab countries for example they'll pay an expat like a white american or a mm -hmm. white canadian or white european way more to do the same job as someone who's like a national of that country. Right. You know what I mean? Just yep. because of the namesake. Like literally, this is something that happens like in the schools that I've been to. Uh, a white person gets paid more because they're basically a brand now. They're like mm -hmm. a, a part of the branding, just having like a white yeah. person there. Yeah, they're seen as more experienced. They're more intelligent or something just because they're white. Yeah, exactly. And right. that even applies to like technical roles. Like my dad, because he had a Canadian citizenship, he would get paid more than somebody who was just a Libyan, right? Mm -hmm. Especially Libya was one of the worst examples of this because they had entire compounds and villages that Libyans and schools that Libyans weren't allowed to enter. Right. You know what I mean? They were like, oh, these are only for internationals. And if a Libyan did manage to get in, it was because they were able to pass off, pass themselves off as non-Arab or non-Libyan. Yeah, that's weird. I didn't know they had that in Libya. Wow. Yeah, that was obviously before it all, like, you know, the Civil War started and everything. Yeah, but well, you, like, even growing up here, 
when I was a kid and I would take like almost to school for lunch, for example, a lot of, you know, white kids would be like, ew, what is that? That looks gross. So I, I don't know if I'd call that imperialism, but definitely thinking that some cultures are inferior to others uh, is related. Yeah, absolutely. Like nobody, if you take a PB&J, you know, or whatever, I don't know, to like a class in Egypt, no one's going to make fun of you. Right. right. If you take a yeah, Nutella sandwich, no one's going to be like, yo, bro, where's your mahshi, bro? Where's your <laughs> zata? Like, no one's going to say that. You right. Know? Where's your, uh, what's that bean stuff called? Where's your fool at? Where's your fool? Yeah, no one's going to say that, you know? It's just like the Western culture is so much more accepted and already placed, like, it's just assumed above their own, mm-hmm. you know? And a lot of people might try to deny this especially like second generation immigrants here they'll say like no man i'm an arab and i'm proud of it and it's like bro you might be but trust me if you go back you know if you nobody's gonna want to go nobody wants to go back to egypt as an egyptian like that's beyond rare everybody's trying to go back to egypt as an american or a canadian right (laughs) that's how you get rights that's how you get treated with respect like that's it yeah. 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 So I think one one key thing is the really the biggest reason that the West is so much more prosperous than the rest of the world is because of imperialism. Physical or otherwise. You can't achieve uh that level of a a gap between your economy and another country's economy without some exploitation along the way and taking uh from outside you know what i mean it's not like maybe some people believe this it's obviously not true but it's not like americans are just so much smarter than other people and that's why they you know they have the strongest economy yeah i remember reading a statistic that like india has more genius kids than america has kids or like it has more geniuses than america has kids something like that so that's definitely not the case but you're right and like i guess one i guess one thing that kind of ties into like this new age or neo-imperialism is what we see a lot of larger corporations doing Mm -hmm. which is kind of plundering them for resources Right. And this is this is like a really weird stance, but I know a guy and his position on it was he was for he was for refugees. He's like supported refugees coming to Canada, but he was the first or second generation immigrant. He was pro refugees coming to Canada or to the West, but he was against immigration because he saw immigration. Yeah, because he saw immigration as like a brain drain on the countries back home because immigration, the immigration process, especially in Canada, there's no lottery system. Like there is in America. All you're doing is you're picking the already successful and rich, the already educated and the already like promising people or populations from like Pakistan or from Egypt or from Palestine or from Syria and telling them to come over. 
So yep. when you do that, like obviously the country's not going to be able to progress, right? You're taking all its best people. Yeah, I I understand why someone would be able to reach that conclusion for sure. I mean, if you're looking at immigration over a really long time span, then yeah, maybe I agree. But, you know, it, it, people who choose to immigrate don't think over decades. They think, you know, in six months, my country's going to be in the middle of a civil war. So I need to leave now. Yeah, I'm not necessarily aligned with his opinion, right. but I am kind of showing how it it those countries have to work more than twice as hard to catch up to where the America is now. Like those countries that have been, I guess, uh, oh yeah, for sure, rated if you want to say that, they have to work twice as hard. Yep, just to be just to maintain the same level of economic growth or the same level of equality or quality of living or whatever you want to call it. It's just not a level playing field anymore. And one way that you can see that is like the capitalist or like the mega corporations. It's not just these governments that are like brain draining people, right? These mega corporations make it so that and, and this happens to a lesser degree even in America, but they make it so that everybody in those other countries, the entire country has to work towards like being the lowest bidder, right? right? Like you go, you see companies that kind of export all their labor to China, their mm-hmm. manual labor to China. And then once China starts getting good at it, you know, and they're like, hey, we're actually really good at this. You know, we're designing like half your tools. We can do it in our sleep, blah, blah, blah. We want more money. They go, well, we want to go to Vietnam, you know, and then they go from Vietnam to Thailand. I wonder if you're talking about one company. In no, I'm talking about all of them. I know what you're talking about, bro. I know what you're talking about. But yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. my point is... <laughs> But you know what I mean, right? Like, I mean, at the end of the day, I remember there was this one interview between, I don't, I don't remember who it was, but somebody was interviewing one of these people, one of these like corporation owners that kind of was responsible for the decision of all their labor getting outsourced to China. And he was like, we're not going to China because it's cheap. We're going to China because they're smart and they have the experience and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like- that's completely bullshit because then why isn't your head office in China? If they're so much smarter than America, so much smarter than Americans, why isn't your head office in China? Why are you diversifying your manufacturing plants? You know, like it makes zero sense. It's completely false. It's an interesting topic because if you look at companies as agents of the state on some level, and I think they are, then you could argue that outsourcing labor or tooling or whatever it happens to be is a form of imperialism. Not just by the company, but by the like the headquarter country itself. And I think that's a fair characterization. They get a lot of the same benefits um, from that as they do with taking over a country and 
and stealing their natural resources. Yeah. Uh, human labor is a resource, right? Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. And I remember um, when I was like younger and we were learning about globalization for the first time, textbooks often framed it as this white savior action where it was like, Hey, these corporations are giving all these people a chance to work. You know what I mean? Right. And it's like the people who are building these products would have to save for a year to buy one of them. Yeah. Like this, well, that's I mean, not an opportunity. Yeah. That's, that's borderline with that. That is wage slavery. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I bought that up for a long time. I said to myself, you know, these jobs aren't great, but these people are still choosing to work here. So it must be of some benefit to them. But the problem is if you get, you know, take the Shenzhen area of China, for example, if the only employers in that area are large multinational consumer electronics companies, then you basically have no other option. And it doesn't matter if that job is good for you or not. It's the only job that's available to you. And yeah, you're getting paid, but it's probably slave wages. And so I think that argument that I'm just talking about it because I believed it for a long time, the argument that, yeah, you know, these jobs suck, but we're saving these people. We're helping them. Um, these jobs are still better than what they can get in their country. That's not true a lot of the time. Because if, if you have a bunch of companies in that space and they're supplying like 99% of the jobs, people don't have other options and they can exploit. Yeah, exactly. And when those companies aren't native to the land, right. they can just leave if those companies don't yep. pay low enough wages. Like, yeah, like... Look at if I was a clothing manufacturer, right? And I wanted to make a shoe. Mm -hmm. And if somebody was like, hey, we'll make the shoe for $20. I'm like, all right. If they say like, hey, actually, like we want to make the shoe for $25. I'm like, all right, I'm going to Bangladesh, bro. Well, yeah. Like, I mean, like, think about it. If, uh, you know, people listening to this are probably clear that, they could be laid off at any time by their company for whatever reason. And they know that's uh, something with a non-zero chance of happening to them personally. So those are companies employing Americans or Canadians that are American or Canadian companies. So how do you think these companies tr deal with layoffs at places in other, at offices in other countries? A lot of the time, you know, these companies don't even have an actual office with their company name in given country. They, they have either a shell company that has no public association with them or they completely outsource the labor. So, you know, say, say I'm making wristwatches in China. My, my company's called Connor Company. I'll employ a company called uh, Salah Company in China that manages all my manufacturing for me. If I shut down production because people aren't buying my wristwatches anymore, 
the only company you're going to hear about in China is the is the Salah company. They're not even going to know I was involved. And there's just no responsibility or accountability. Yeah, it's it's like Salah company in this case would be just completely treated as another piece of raw material. Like if I stop buying this material, that's it. That's all right. it is. It's not people to them, you know? And that's kind of like the the whole mindset. And that again, that mindset is what's exported. You know, that whole like, these countries don't matter, only mine does. That whole like kind of idea of exporting, I guess not, it's not identical, but like we hear about the military exporting freedom and democracy to like Iraq or <laughs> Syria or wherever they happen to be bombing. And it's kind of democracy all over neighborhoods. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of the same mindset where it's like, or the kind of the same like propaganda. And it also ignores everything that they're taking away. And the fact that all these things that they're supposedly giving them, they would not give it to Americans in the same way. You know? No. No. You don't bomb an American neighborhood because you want it to be free. You know what I mean? Like that doesn't happen. I mean, like yeah. it has happened. Unless it's a like black neighborhood. Yeah, like in Tulsa, it'll happen. <laughs> but yeah. like, you don't do it now anymore, hopefully. Knock on wood. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's not jinx it. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, and... that's a good way to put it. Uh, one other thing to add is that when companies outsource like that, they're not bound by laws anymore at least not the, not their own country's laws. So it's funny, you get these companies that, you know, have free lunches, free dinners, basketball courts, free gyms, etc. for their employees in the US. They have sleeping pods and dumb stuff like that. But then the, the people who do a lot of the work for the company in China or Thailand or Vietnam or wherever it is, like live in very squalid, uh dorms with each other they're not clean they're uncomfortable they work at least 12 hours a day and just like the they don't have to follow any laws in that country the corporation but they also don't have to abide by their own cultural standards you know what i mean things that make their brand popular yeah absolutely and like i guess i want to touch on a little bit this idea of choice right this capitalist imperialism it's kind of driven a lot of actual physical imperialism that we all kind of very quickly recognize uh, in a lot of countries especially latin american countries Um, palm oil bananas yeah so like there was a company I think it was Chiquita, but it was basically a company that the CIA had like a lot of shares in or it owned. I don't remember. And this banana company had huge amounts of land. And what they did was they had basically they cheated or lied on their account statements and said that the land that they owned was actually worth, you know, a fraction of a cent of what it was actually worth so that they wouldn't have to pay taxes on it. 
And a guy came in, this was in South America. He came in and he was like, I want to nationalize all these huge industries so that these, the income from them or the revenue from them can help the actual people of the country. And he said, I will pay you what your land is worth. Now, because they cheated on their statements and said their land was worth only pennies, he was like, I'm only going to pay you what you said it was worth. That's what you were paying taxes on. Mm -hmm. Right. And because of that, they overthrew him and got him killed. Yep. Right. And that kind of goes hand in hand or that kind of like follows a pattern of a lot of Latin American countries. You know, Venezuela had the the sanctions and the embargoes on them. You have Hugo Chavez that was constantly shown as like this war criminal on TV. You have the guy from Bolivia, I think it was Evo Morales. Yeah. Uh, and he was shown as a someone who, you know, defrauded elections and things like that. And then they instituted an out and out fascist in his place yeah. who did everything that they were afraid he might do. So he had yet to do anything. And he's, I think he's currently taking refuge in Mexico, but he had at the time yet to actually do anything, any of these illegal acts or like fascist or dictatorial acts that they accused him of because he was instituting, I guess the socialist policies or communist policies. They were worried that that was going to take away from their bottom line. And what's even worse is, or what's even worse for them, is they were afraid that these kind of thought processes or ideas would actually spread, right? Mm -hmm. They didn't want the rest of the continent to follow suit. Yeah, definitely. There's, There's dozens of examples of these kinds of things, and especially in South America, but also in the Middle East, like look up what led to the 1979 Iranian revolution, British petroleum and the, the people who wanted to nationalize that industry in Iran happened before the revolution. But yeah, like there's dozens of of examples of this. And what's kind of interesting is that ultimately it's companies that are deciding the foreign policy for Western countries and the, and the companies are the ones that are basically making imperialism happen. Yeah, exactly. Um, so if we're, if we're kind of like looking for a way to address this or learn more about it or stop it, hopefully one day, I think it really starts with companies. Like ultimately we don't like to admit it, but politicians are just instruments of big corporate interests and foreign policy is no exception. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one thing, I guess this kind of ties into our last episode a little bit because I touched on it or you touched on it, where even if you look at the most recent I guess, exercise of imperialist or imperialist policy, which is Israel, you Mm -hmm. can see the amount of financial support it's received from not just corporations, but from the US, you know, and the idea is, again, because it is ultimately a white ethnostate, a white Jewish ethnostate, right? And it's basically a stronghold of white supremacy in the Middle East, 
and they want to keep that in place. So, yeah, like I completely agree. I mean, apartheid in South and South Africa fell in part due to international uh, sanctions and boycotting. Yep. And that started on a personal level. Like it started on us on an individual level. It did not start with the governments. The governments picked it up when it was found. Like they're like, all right, we want to be on the right side of history at some point. But right. the whole process began with just people. And I know it's it's extremely neoliberal of me to say vote with your wallet. Because like a lot of people don't have a choice at the end of the day. And the same companies that you want to avoid, their competitors are often following the same footsteps, right? If you look at two companies, one that is American and one that is Japanese, right? And they both kind of have terrible factory conditions or they both have factories in the same country or something like that. The reason to let's say boycott the American one instead of the Japanese one. I'm not saying to do this, but I'm just giving an example. The reason to do that would be because the American one is exporting an imperialist idea or an imperialist notion. Now the Japanese one is not. The Japanese one is just abusing capitalism. That's all it's doing. You know, the Japanese are not trying to institute an idea of Japanese superiority in China, you know? Right. I know that they do have that, like the Japanese do have a bit of a Japanese superiority in Japan. Uh, <laughs> Maybe not the strongest example, but yeah, I get what you're saying. Right. Um, but, but they're uh, not like, they also don't have like a thousand military bases all over the world. Yeah, like I, yeah. I would just say the, the reason to choose a Japanese company, okay, they're, they're, they probably both have some imperialist interests, but the reason to choose a Japanese one is because U.S. imperialism is way stronger and way, way worse right now than Japanese imperialism is. Yeah, exactly. I'm not trying to be like lesser of two evils, um, but like ultimately there is no ethical consumption under capitalism and participation in capitalism is like it's an expected and normal part of life. You're not going to change anything by living in a van down by the river. Like you have to be part of the capitalist society. That's just normal. I'm also not trying to say like, hey, Japanese imperialism is okay or Chinese imperialism is okay. It's not. Imperialism in all forms is poor. It's, it's bad. Yeah, unless know? it's uh, Islamic imperialism. And yeah, if you're going to start a caliphate, that's yeah. different. That's That's the one true way. That's different. Like, I know a lot of leftists and progressives just love to be like, hey, man, China is like standing up to American imperialism. And so we support it. And it's like China is still pretty bad on a lot of things. I don't think if we're at a point where I can be like, yeah, I support China even critically. Thanks for listening, everybody. This was episode six of Profits Over Profits. Uh, It was Connor and Salah again. Thanks so much and see you again soon. Bye.